Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Come hither with the mystic green. Bring forth your wandering with the twilight, and let your heart dance forth to the western lands. See the fields a shimmer in the half-light, see the stars arrested against the endless blue, see the moon underwater. Welcome to the Moon Underwater. Come ye, come ye, enter ye, enter all, and all ye come in here to the Dream Pub, the pub of the correct realm, where every week a guest stumbles into our cobbled street and sees a sort of a pulsing glow and wonders, what may that be, of all things perchance, Uh, then comes in uh, and then furnishes their fantasy tavern. I am John Robbins, the landlord of this insane pub. It is insane. Uh, But with me as ever is my trusty steed. The trusty, the regular, the lovely, the Robin Allender. Thank you. Hi. Hello, Robin. How how find you your own self? Yes, I find myself well. Yes, very well. And thee? Well, you know what's been going on here, Robin? Go on. In a word, caverns... (laughs) I've discovered some unknown caverns beneath the moon underwater. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'm in two minds as to what to really do with them, to be honest with you, to be fair. Wine springs to mind. Does, well, wine always springs to mind, and then it springs forth from bottle to glass, then it springs from glass to mouth, and then final... <laughs> the final, final springing journey, forth. It's final descent from mouth through throat to stomach. I'm thinking... I'm thinking maybe a games room, mm-hmm. but a cavern-based games room. Okay. I'm thinking of perhaps a gallery. What are those special installations called where they have like a pinhole and it projects? There's one in Bristol at the top of... Um, oh, a camera obscura. I'm thinking a camera obscura. It's going to be hard to have a subterranean camera obscura, though, I think, unless you have a very long pinhole. Which you are notorious for. Yeah, you could have a pinhole as far as you like. Yeah, yeah. 
You just have to keep it well maintained. <laughs> yeah, very but clean. But wouldn't it be lovely to have uh, maybe a camera obscure of the night sky in the correct oh, realm? Yes, I'd like that. The, the thing with your gallery idea is that those. How even are the walls? Are they? Are they? Are they, play, are they? You know, are they flat? No, but we could maybe carve a bit out here and there. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to speak to the the wardens of the the realm to find out whether these caverns are listed. You're going to have to get some pretty pretty hardcore rule plugs as well if you want to hang anything up on that. What are we talking? What, what material? Oh, ten mil. <laughs> AKA a centimetre. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, it's something to get get on with, but we can't be distracted by that no. now because we are here in the moon underwater to welcome a guest to the Seven song. We are. But one thing you've been welcoming a lot recently, Robin, is pubs into your life. Yeah. What tell me about your pubs? Your week in pubs, your pub in weeks. Well, you know, I'm actually in Bristol. I mean I'm in I'm in the moon underwater, but I am in Bristol. Um, in in my mind, so I'm hoping to go to the Hare on the Hill this week and the Westbury Park Tavern, and which which is a, a great pub. It used to be the Cock of the North. It's a good pub, and it's kind of famous because it was in an episode of The Young Ones, yeah, where it was called the Ke- the Kebab and Calculator, and Madness played there. But I wondered if anyone could write in with like pubs they've been to that were in on the telly. <laughs> oh, that's a good pubs on film. Pubs on film. Someone wrote in recently saying they're in the pub in Glasgow where they filmed an episode of Succession. Oh, right. Yeah. So m- more of that kind of thing. Yeah, more of that kind of hashtag pubs in film. Pubs in film, yeah. Because the pub in Bottom, the Lamb and Flag, that was a set, I think. Yes, I think so. But they also made reference to another pub, which was the Dog and Handgun. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Have we been to any pubs in film? Pubs in film, films in pub. We must have been. We must maybe have been. Maybe we don't know. Maybe we just don't know. Um, maybe we just don't know. I think the nag. I think we might have discussed this before. The nags head in like only fools and horses was also a lot of it was filmed in Bristol. Mm. And so I don't think there was a nags head in Peckham, but there is now. Oh, I see. Yeah, I Getting in on the right. film element yeah. of pubs in film. Yeah. But yeah, pubs in film. Please let us know. Maybe you've been to the one in Withnell and I. Surely that's a real pub, isn't it? Must be. It looks must like be. It. I should have done some research on this. Well, I mean, I, I sort of pounced it on you, really. <laughs> I had a really nice, um, not really a pub experience, but a nice booze experience this weekend. Went to play golf at a golf club called the Warwickshire, which is a sort of huge complex, really nice courses. Mm. And the clubhouse, so golf clubhouses can often be a bit of a mixed bag booze-wise. Yeah. And they had your classics. They had your sort of, you know, whatever it is, Cronenberg, Guinness. What was the thing that... The Skags. Skags, yeah. St- Stella, Cronenberg. Amstel, um, Guinness. Amstel, Guinness. <laughs> but then, and I love this, they had one draft pump. Yeah. One hand pump at the end of the bar. And I couldn't have... Pick- I mean, I hadn't tried it before, but I couldn't have picked a beer that was more up my strasser. Mm. And it was Church Farm Brewery Pale Ale. Ooh. 3.8%. And just so well kept, mm. just foaming beyond foam and golden beyond gold. And, you know, it was quite hot. And knowing that it was there, was such an amazing feeling, walking down the sort of 18th fairway, really sweaty, sort of eyes stinging from suntan lotion. Yeah. Just knowing that waiting for me <laughs> were endless pints. Sometimes an ale can quench your thirst. 
Oh, 100%. It really I think it's got to be on the weaker side. Yeah. Um, But we were talking about this last week, weren't we? So you were in Warwickshire. So are we talking sparklers or or nay? Uh, There were nay sparklers at the Warwickshire, but the hotel... Because I was also there last weekend. Right. And the hotel that we stayed in last weekend, which is only about a mile away, did have sparklers. Ah, sparklers. But it was just so well kept and so well poured and just such a good beer Mm. that it it didn't need a sparkler. It didn't didn't need it. Sometimes it doesn't. It just had a head that just won't quit. <laughs> but Robin, I heard I heard your breath exhaled yeah. in a mournful tone. I believe you were sighing for some mist earlier. I was sighing. It's been very hot, so I did a sigh, you know, because I was like, oh, it's hot. And then the mist mail just kind of arrived. I sort of, I, I accidentally sighed for the mist. It was coincidental. <laughs> very good. <laughs> 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 but we've got some terrific mists in this week, some really oh, lovely mists. So the first one I'll read out is from Mark. Um, hey, chaps. Hey, Chaos. I hope this finds you well. Inexplicably, I have started watching Ripper Street on Amazon Prime recently, some 10 years after it began. This scene is featured in season three, and for some reason I can't stop watching it most likely due to the lovely rendition, partly due to the melody being one known from childhood, but also because it's a melancholic song about a pub. So he's he's sent along a scene from Ripper Street uh, with someone singing a song called There is a Tavern in the Town. And it's a really beautiful version. Uh, This song is supposed to be performed in what I assume is an ironically jaunty fashion, but I much prefer this version. And John in particular may appreciate the last verse, which goes, Oh, dig my grave, both wide and deep. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's John to a T, with tombstones at my head and feet, and above my head you can carve a turtle dove to signify I died of love. Cheers, Mark. And that's that's was a lovely message, because that verse really rang a bell with me, and I realise it's because, I don't know if you know the unthanks, Mark, but they actually recorded a song called Died for Love, which has that verse in it. Oh, wow. I think it's a different version of the song. But yeah, check out that version. It's on Mount the Air, which is a brilliant album. But anyway, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll post that link because it's a really it's a it is a lovely scene from the from the show, uh, Ripper Street. But um, yes, thanks for your message. Um, another message here, missed mail from Rob. Hi, John and Robin. I have a suggestion for an interesting pub name: the Dog in a Doublet, oh. located. <laughs> yeah, the Dog in a Doublet, located on the River Neen, just north of Whittlesea in Cambridgeshire. Apparently, a former landlady had a small terrier dog, which after a dip in the river lost all of its coat. So she knitted it a doublet, which is a small padded jacket. The pub became famous for the dog in the doublet, and the name stuck. That's, isn't that mad? Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Unfortunately, despite driving past the pub every day for two years with work, I've never drank there. Oh, Yours gotta in get ale. involved. Get to the dub. Get to the D and D. Get to the double D. But this is a fantastic mist we've had in here. I mean, both of those were great, of course, but this one is quite special. This is from Alex. Um, Dear John and Robin. After hearing your recent Larkin and Pubs chat, so we've talked a bit about Larkin on the podcast, and John and I also did a a podcast for the Philip Larkin Society called Tiny and All That Air. So he says, after hearing your recent Larkin and Pubs chat, I'm writing to tell you about an important figure in both of these realms, my grandpa, Anthony Thwaite. Oh, no way. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like you'd be interested to hear about him, as, as he was a good friend of Larkin's and one of his literary executors, a role which will apparently be passed down to me. 
No way. <laughs> Which is mad. He edited Larkin's selected letters. He edited the poems as well. And was also the first person to read the immortal line, they F you up your M&D, which Larkin sent him an early version of. <laughs> Holy smoker doobie. Yeah. The two of them spent a lot of time together, undoubtedly joined at times by a drink or two. My grandpa was a great poet in his own right. And yeah, my dad's got had a collection of Anthony Thwaites poems. I've been trying to find it today, actually. <laughs> and as it's been around a year since he died, I thought I'd send in one of my favourites of his, published in 1963 which fittingly takes place in a pub, and a dreamlike Manchester pub at that. I hope you get something out of it, as I always have and will. And so he attaches a poem called Mr Cooper, which I think I will read in a future pub library, because it's quite long to read, but it's very, very beautiful. Thanks both for your good work in pubs, poetry and beyond, Alex. So what a fantastic message that is. Oh, Alex, that's made my year. Yeah. <laughs> and that's sorry great. to hear about the passing of your grandpa, but what yeah. an incredible legacy yeah. he leaves behind. I mean, he was so he was so involved in all of Larkin's you know, publications really, wasn't he? Posthumous, I suppose. Yes, I've got three or four of um because he wrote also wrote books about Larkin. Didn't yeah. He? But that's just so nice to know that someone in that legacy is listening to The Moon Underwater. And, and also, yeah. if you ever need any help once the uh, conservatorship passes to you, <laughs> yeah. uh, just dealing with sort of rare items, Rob and I are happy to don a pair of white gloves Yeah, like they use in libraries. Oh, you should definitely forward that to the um, tiny and all that air folks. Definitely, yeah. And as I say, I will read out this poem in a future pub library. It's a great poem called Mr Cooper. I'll read the first two lines. Two nights in Manchester, nothing much to do. One of them I spent partly in a pub, alone, quiet, listening to people who didn't know me, which is a great oh, start. That's so, very nice. Yeah, and it is quite Larkin-esque as well. But, um, yeah, just such a great message. It was, I was really touched to receive that. Great stuff. Um, any more mists, Robin, or is the mist set sail now? The mist bag is empty. Empty of mist. Empty mist bag. Not something you want to see, but thank you so much for your correspondence. You can send any mist mail you have to john at moonunderpod.com. You can also head to moonunderpod.com to find out about all interesting factors, um, because we've got some live shows coming up, including, but not limited to, uh, our special show for the George Orwell Festival with Mark Steele. And there may be, there may be some murmurations on the... Um, Grapevine. It is an actual grapevine here in the correct realm. Mm. Uh, it says we might be doing something at the Edinburgh Festival, but we just don't know. I cannot say or guess, for I know only a heap of broken images. Bit of fun, bit of fun. Now then, these caverns, Rob, yeah. would you like to descend the stairwells with me uh, and go through some of the domed archways that were just full of empty barrels. That's why I didn't know these caverns were knocking around. Yes, I'd love um, to. It sounds great. And see where, what you think we could use them for, either games room or camera obscura, because I do think you're right. I think a gallery is out. Yeah, yeah. Also, it's quite damp, so it might cause foxing on the parchments that we display. What about a camera obscura in reverse, where it kind of projects what's in the cellar to the outside world? Onto the sky, like a bat signal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't mind that at all. Yeah. Um... It could give away our location, though. That's true, yeah. And we do like to keep that sort of a shifting secret. But anyway, let's head down, check it out, and then we'll be back up in time for this week's guest.
Well, Robin, if I polish these tankards any more, I'm going to wear right through to the inner core. Uh, are they shining in an effective manner, would you say? When you shine a tankard, you get through to an inner core. You don't just get through to the other side of the tankard. No, there's a sort of an inner, inner core, a mantle, and then in the middle it's just magma, I think. <laughs> For the, the core of, like, the Earth. Well, yeah, because that's how the tankards get their gravitational pull. Because they have sort of um, heavy metals revolving uh, within. Yeah, sorry, it was a stupid question. Yeah, it was a, it was a bit foolish. Um, that's why you can never fit any blooming beer in them. But they really are just sort of ornamental um, gravitational tankards. Uh, but uh, yeah, I do, I do need to stop polishing them. And I don't think our guest this week will be too fussed about whether they're gleaming to a resonance of a hundred out of a hundred. Uh, I think they'd be more than happy with, with even quite a tinyish ta- with even quite a t- that's a tongue twister <laughs> with even quite a tarnished tankard. Um, and if, if I'm not mistaken, that's the, the whoosh, the sound of the whoosh of an arrival from the celestial slide. Because there's a celestial slide here in the correct realm that runs from the heavens down to the earth. And uh, it's like a helter-skelter, um, and it gets wider towards the bottom and then, and then thinner again. Um, <laughs> so I, I do hope our guest manages to pass the middle, because that's quite, it's quite scary uh, when it gets really, really thin at the bottom, and you're like a ball bearing going round a little machine. Shoots too narrow. Uh, but, oh, with a woof and a, and a big thump, uh, they have thudded into the hay bales at the base of the celestial helter-skelter that wi- gets wider then thinner. And at the door is none other than Simon Price. Hello, Simon. Hello. Hello, hello. Come and take a seat. What sort of seat would you like to sit on in the moon underwater this eve? I mean, just for now, I'll stick with that sort of... Um, that, that, that mat you get on a helter-skelter. Those, uh, you know, they're like a doormat, aren't they, that you sit yes. on? Yes. Like a sort of thick potato sack type affair. Yes. I actually, it's so funny you mentioned getting stuck on a, <laughs> you mentioned getting stuck on a Helter Skelter. I actually did that once on Brighton Pier. It was so embarrassing. I was with a then new girlfriend and uh, we did all the stuff you do when you're visiting Brighton, went on the pier and I literally got stuck halfway. And I mean, I'm, I make no bones about it. I'm a big guy, but it was kind of, you know, my coat I was wearing. It was a, just a bad coat to wear on a helter-skelter and I just got stuck halfway up and I got these kind of burn marks at my back it looked like I've been savaged by some kind of panther and um because the you know it's it's on kind of runners the uh the surface of it it's kind of it's got ridges wooden ridges and they all just rip my skin and it just it was one of the least cool things I've ever done but I mean what a great way to enter a pub if that was possible people could just slide in like that it's one way of making an entrance slide yeah. into a pint Imagine if you could just have a helter-skelter that led to an enormous vat of beer and you just sploshed down into it and then could swim around. Simon, you are music journalist extraordinaire. Uh, You are a Mannix expert. I wanted to... I wanted to ask because it seems to me that sort of until the early 2000s, so much of sort of music folklore and... Even some of the biggest bands were built in like a sort of a pub circuit or a pub scene, or a lot of the gigs were in pubs. Do you think that's stopped now because bands are just hyped and marketed so much that they're 
sort of before you've even discovered them, they're playing quite big venues. And what was it like writing about music in pubs in the 90s? <laughs> well, um, to take the first part of the question, yeah, I think things have changed hugely. And I do hear anecdotally sort of these depressing tales that you have to have it's something like £30,000 behind you before anyone will even look at you because that pays for things like, oh God, I don't want to be too cynical about the whole process, but you can buy YouTube views, you can buy Spotify listens and all this kind of stuff, you know, and uh, um, in order to even get your foot in the door, you kind of have to be friendly with the bank of mum and dad, shall we say. And that that alters the kind of people who get to make music in the first place, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so, th- so the days where you could just start from nothing, just literally playing an open mic slot in a, in a pub and catch someone's eye and get to the top. I, I don't want to say it's gone forever, but, you know, the, the eye of a needle is becoming smaller and smaller, it really is. So we're about to create your perfect pub. I have been to pubs with you, uh, Simon, in Brighton, uh, but you, your pub background, would that have been in whereabouts in South Wales? I'm from Barry, uh, near Cardiff, um, same as uh, previous guest Mike Bubbins, of course. So, yeah, my first pub experiences. Um, my parents broke up when I was five, and uh, already this is sounding like an episode of How Do You Cope? Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, my, my parents broke up when I was five, and my early experiences of pubs were kind of f- fractured into two strands because of that. Um, on my mum's side of the family, um, whenever the men folk of the family, um, so cousins and uncles and things like that visited my granddad would make us all drive to a village pub in the Vale of Glamorgan called the Fox and Hounds in Llancarvan and this of course being the 70s when you know the time of Mungo Jerry um, have a drink have a drive um, you know nobody seeing anything wrong with that at the time um, and when we got there I'd, I'd be given a glass of flat coke with with a slice of lemon in it and a packet of stale salt and vinegar crisps and and left to my own devices in the in the beer garden and which which had a climbing frame and a slide, and it had a a brook at the bottom or a stream. I don't know the delineation between a brook and a stream. Does, maybe a brook has to babble. Yeah. I don't know. A weir? Could be a weir. A weir. Oh, well, <laughs> there wasn't a weir, but there was a ford. Um, that, and, and so the cars could cross. And around the ford, there were sticklebacks and, and, and um, tap holes. And I would just sort of stand there for what seemed like hours, just staring at them, really bored. So that was my mum's side of the family. On my dad's side... After breaking up, he became a bit of a playboy, a bit of a boy racer around town. And uh, he had this Triumph sports car, this really fancy looking red GT6, which had literally been used for racing before before it was his. And uh, it only had two seats, so which usually meant that I got stashed horizontally across the <laughs> parcel shelf at the back. It really was a different a different time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Health and safety nightmare. And he'd drive me around to various seaside pubs and bars around Barry, where his mates would be, uh, even if I wasn't really allowed to be there. I vividly remember him plonking me on this this high stool in a bar called the Water's Edge in Barry, and the barman saying, no children allowed, and my dad saying, he's not a child, he's a 30-year-old dwarf. And, 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 and he got away with it. But yeah, I mean, I just found it really boring. I mean, one thing that would often happen would be that a, a grown-up would get me to sip a bit of whiskey for a laugh. I don't know if you ever had that, but as a child, they'd sort of go, like, let's make the child try try some alcohol. And and I, I'd spit it out, like, oh my God, what, you know, what the hell is that? And, and 
and they'd all laugh. That was hilarious to them. And so I kind of vowed as a child I was never going to drink alcohol, which, you know, that went well. So my main, my main formative um, memories of pubs are those two things, boredom and, and disgust as a child. Um, and pubs were places I kind of got dragged to, um, sometimes literally kicking and screaming, um, rather, you know, than something I ever wanted to be. It was only later as a teenager that that, that happened. I mean, the, fir- the first pub I chose to go to was the park in Barry, and it was the day we finished our O-levels. And um, I was wearing a silk bomber jacket with loads of badges on, which is so uncool. Like, if you, wear, if you wear one badge, that might be cool, or one or two badges, maybe. I had every badge I owned on this jacket, and it was mostly, like, like Madness, the specials, and Dexies, and stuff like that. And I remember meeting my friend Suzanne outside, and, and she said, Simon, you look like a 16-year-old boy. And I said... I am a 16-year-old boy. And she said, yeah, that's the point, you know? And that hadn't occurred to me. But, I, I mean, I did get served a lovely cold pint of cider. And um, the park is kind of my home pub to this day. It's the pub where if, if I walk in, I'm probably going to meet three or four people that I know, even though I've lived in England for decades, you know? It's, it's one of those big, solid, late Victorian pubs that just has this feeling of permanence, you know? Um but the, the park always had an edge to it as well in those days, um, that there might be aggro, to you, to use the dated term from that era. And, and that, that was true of most pubs in Barry. And, and the thing is, people often talk about pubs being places of community. That's something that often comes over in this, this pod. And, and for me, they're also important as places of refuge from the community. I really believe that. And I'll explain what I mean by that. There was a lot of what we would now call toxic masculinity um, in Barry, And a lot of it, for me, is rooted in the culture of rugby in Wales. Um, I was always being told by adults that rugby would make a man of you, which meant being a beer-drinking, meat-eating, fighting, moustache-wearing throwback, and I wasn't that guy. Um, rugby at my school was just organised brutality. It was an excuse for the bigger boys to trample smaller boys into the ground and you would I mean all right you wouldn't believe it to look at me now but as, as a teenager believe it or not I was quite slender quite slight and I was the ball the ball would come to me and I'd fling it up in the air and run but that didn't save me from getting trampled into the dirt there's sort of an outline of me in the mud you know and um you know and they would say oh rugby it'll put hairs on your chest but I didn't want hairs on my chest I mean I eventually got them anyway whether I wanted them or not but yeah rug- rugby and the culture and and and, and the kind of mentality around it was genuinely and people think I'm exaggerating that it's kind of the reason why I had to leave Wales I mean you've you've had Mike Bubbins on on Moon Underwater and I love Mike he's he's the best case scenario of a bigger boy right (laughs) (laughs) and that's great and 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 he he makes a really convincing case for the family of rugby as he calls it and all the positives around it but when I was growing up I'm sorry but there were plenty of worst case scenario versions of people like Mike these kind of knuckle dragging rugby lads and bigger boys who used to give me my friends all kinds of shit and if, if you didn't conform to certain masculine norms and that's in all sorts of ways, in, in terms of your, your sexuality or your fashion or, or your musical taste or your cultural interest, you were cruising for a bruising, you know. So you learn to run really fast. I, I, there's this long causeway from Barry Island back to the mainland, and we were constantly being chased across it, me and my friends, after nights out at Feathers, the local disco. Um, so we, we learned to congregate in the handful of places where you weren't going to get any shit, you know. Um, Sorry for swearing, but um, in in Barry that meant old men pubs, 
So there was this, the upstairs bar of the Tenewith, um or the Tinny, as, as it's known, where actual old men would grumble a little bit, but kind of tolerate having this table of excitable teenagers in the corner. And and in Cardiff, the places you were, you were always safe was a gay bar. In, in those days, um, there was the King's Cross. Nowadays, the Golden Cross, a different one, which is one of the great Cardiff pubs, by the way. It's a grey two listed building because of the glazed tiles on the outside. It's really gorgeous. But yeah, I mean, those pubs, the old men pubs and the gay bars were just places of refuge from the community for me. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I think a lot of... It comes up a lot when I chat with John about that kind of thing of finding your people as well. We often talk about the hatchet in Bristol where it was like full of, you know, goths and the metalheads and everyone. And it was genuinely, you did feel safer there than you would have going into the centre of Bristol and like the harbourside kind of pubs and stuff. Well, that's exactly it. And that, yeah, I mean, it's only when I moved to London that I found that pubs can be not just places of, of refuge from the community, but havens for these kind of alternative communities where, where, where yeah, like, like you say, where you find your tribe. And you're never going to get that in a small town like Barry. Um, it's about 50,000 people. Everyone has to rub shoulders with everyone else. And there's always kind of friction and tension because of that. And um, even in Cardiff in the 80s, it was basically a choice of gay or straight. And even though I was essentially, in the most reductive sense, a straight kid, in the sense that I fancied girls, I felt safer and more among my people in a in a gay bar. But London is is big enough, and I, I went went up to London to go uni. London's big enough to have these specialist pubs. So the first one I fell in love with was the Intrepid Fox on Wardour Street in Soho, um, which was a goth pub, and I didn't even know what goth was really at the time. I was into the Cure and the cult and Susie and the Banshees and all of that. And I mostly wore black and I had quite big hair and wore eyeliner, but I didn't know there was a word for that. I um, I didn't know about the subculture and this is sort of 1986. And um, I was fresh in town and I vividly remember walking along Oxford Street one evening and just seeing this gaggle of goths on the other side of the road, these spectacular creatures in their kind of Victorian lace finery and, and their massive hair and their dramatic makeup, everything black and white, like these kind of monochrome peacocks. And I just thought, who are these people? You know, what? and this, this makes me sound like a stalker, but I literally followed them. I, I followed them a few paces behind to see where they were going. And they led me to the Intrepid Fox and my, my entire life just opened up before me from there it was like there are these flyers of course and posters for clubs and gigs you could easily fill seven days a week i found out from just doing goth stuff uh and even if it just meant going to the intrepid fox itself on a sunday evening and london was just a safer place for someone like me to to walk around with my brooches and my stupid kind of hair and my frilly shirts and all that i mean my mum used to worry about me she said oh are you okay up in london walking around like that and i had to tell her like Honestly, I'd be in much more trouble walking around Cardiff and a lot more trouble walking around Barry, looking like I was and in London. So specifically my playgrounds being Camden and Soho, it was I was just so at home there, and particularly the Intrepid Fox. And the, the music was great. You knew you were going to meet like-minded people. Even the decor was perfect. They had these, uh, in the upstairs bit, the, these black lace curtains with... And it's, when I describe it, it sounds a bit naff, but it just seems so cool at the time. Like um, black glitter painted crow skulls, actual crow skulls hanging off it. And like melted toy soldiers. They'd taken toy soldiers and sort of lit, lit them with a cigarette lighter and hung them off the curtains. And it all seemed very arty. And, uh, and, and it had a rock and roll heritage. Apparently it's where um, 
Mick Jagger persuaded Ronnie Wood to join the Rolling Stones and 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 it's so important I think when you find that place of refuge from the community which it makes me sound like a raging misanthropist I know or or maybe like one of those emo kids who has a t-shirt that says normal people scare me or whatever but you know but there's a certain truth that, I mean even in Brighton right where, where I now live you need that place of refuge Brighton's main alternative pub the um, the Carolina Brunswick which I know you've performed at John it's the main kind of alternative pub. And and I was DJing there once when the pub came under attack from this kind of gang of lads who wanted to fight with, with the weirdos, you know, and we literally had to barricade ourselves in. So if, even in Brighton, um, you know, you're, you're not necessarily safe. Marky Smith from The Fall had a problem with Brighton. He, he said, you can't hide yourself away in an enclave like that. But I thought, I bloody can. I thought, it's... It's it's a bit yeah you know it's a bit of a liberal bright Brighton Bohemian bubble that you know we're living down here but I've served my time outside that bubble and sod it you know I've 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 earned the right to drink in pubs like the Kaz and and when you're not going to be hassled for looking unusual and 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 my first pub was was like that but it was the Intrepid Fox in Soho and God I miss that pub it's uh, the inevitably the 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 owners of the building um, saw dollar signs and sold it off and it turned it into a Byron Burger. And and because like, oh, Soho doesn't have enough eating establishments, obviously. So uh, yeah, that's that was that. Hello, fans of Pub and Pint. I'm Jess Phillips, an MP, and now for the first time, a podcast host. I know that the moon underwater is used to sighing for its letters, so I think you'll love my new podcast. That's all about writing letters. It's called Yours Sincerely. And in each episode, I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. So with that, I'll sign off with yours sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy an episode of my podcast soon. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
Well, let's try and create a refuge uh, for you this evening. Um, we'll perhaps talk about what it's going to look like in the second half, but let's start with uh, furnishing the bar. So what two draft items, please, Simon? Well, then, um, a lot of the drinks I'm going to choose are slightly more grown-up versions of drinks I used to love when I was younger. That's kind of the unifying theme, if there is one. So, for example, um, I am a cider drinker, to quote the Wurzels, um, and uh, the first few times I ever got drunk was on cans of woodpecker cider in, in a park called um, Alexandra Gardens in Barry, ice cold in Alex Gardens. Um, and uh, a lot of firsts happened in that park, if you catch my drift. But you uh, you hardly ever see woodpecker now, not in pubs anyway, sometimes in supermarkets. But woodpecker was quite sweet, and I do have a sweet tooth for drinks. And, I mean, yeah, there are sweet ciders available, particularly if you're into those fruity ones from Scandinavia in bottles. They're, and they're fine if, if you want, if you're in the mood for strawberry and lime or elderflower, whatever the hell. Um, but on draft, you've usually only got... I mean, I, I'll drink pretty much any draft cider as as long as it has bubbles in it. So, Aspels or Stoford Press or Strongbow, all fine. I can't be doing with rustic cider that's opaque and has bits of straw floating in it. So, I, I'm the opposite of a real ale snob in that way, I, I, or a craft beer drinker. I want it to be commercial cider made in a massive factory, ideally. But they all they all tend to be on the dry side. And I've always been looking for a cider that's somewhere in between in in that sweet spot or that sweet dry spot. Um, it's a bit towards Woodpecker, but not maybe not fully there. And it was only this year, actually, that I found it. It was um, in The Basket Makers, which is an excellent Brighton pub, already been mentioned, I think, by Zoe Lyons. And uh, they have a cider there. And I, I'm, I'm probably naming something everyone's already heard of, but I already discovered it this year called Cornish Orchards. Ah, I thought you were going to say Inches Cider for a oh, second no. there. That's actually, no, that's the commercial, That that, that that's what all the squares are drinking, is it? No, I tell you what, when, when, when I moved house, the estate agents gave us a little box with a can of Inches Cider in it. I thought, wow, somebody's working the PR angle on that. But no, Inches is fine, but... Um, Cornish Orchard's Gold is the particular one. It's on tap. I've never seen it anywhere else. So I sometimes kind of wrangle our nights out, uh, my wife Janie and I, so that we either start or end up at the basket makers just so I can have some uh, Cornish Orchards. And um, apparently originated in Cornwall about 20 years ago. It's now been bought up by Fuller, Smith and Turner. And uh, and it says on their website, which I can see in my mind, um, that uh, it was the winner of the gold medal at the International Cider Awards 2015, an immensely refreshing cider with fruity apple tones, a blend of bittersweet and dessert apples to give the cider body and crispness. And, and I'd agree with that. It's sort of half, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of half and half. It's, it's 4.5, so session just about. And... Um, it's vegan friendly, which is a sort of thing I I care about if I'm told, but yeah, I often yeah, adopt yeah. A, a don't ask, don't tell <laughs> policy. Yeah. You know, I'm not checking everything on Barnivore, you know. But um, but yeah, it's the closest I've got in modern times to that feeling of drinking woodpecker on the swings in the park. I love the way you're trying to recapture the the woodpecker with with this. That's nice. Yeah, recapture the woodpecker. <laughs> And probably if Woodpecker was on draft, I, I who knows, I might just hate it. But yeah. It's sort of weird how like cider is, in terms of like mass manufactured cider, I'm guessing it's more popular than it's ever been. But not not as many people pick it as a drink as you would think. And I wonder if, you know, because your first experience of drinking it set you up for life. But I think a lot of people get drunk on it and then can never touch it again. 
Well, there is that thing, and I don't know why that isn't the case, because God knows I've been very ill on cider enough times, but yeah, it's just my default drink. Like, a pint to me is a pint of cider, that's just what it is. Tell you who does Cornish Orchard is the the George the Fourth in Chiswick, where we did the live Moon Underwater shows. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. Mm. That, which uh, probably accounts for the... Uh, the somewhat variable content of those live shows. <laughs> I was listening. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> What's your second choice, Simon? Okay, here's a drink I don't actually like um, because it's a beer and I don't like any beers or any lagers or any ales. So why are you selecting it? Well, I'll, well, I'll explain. Um, the Right. The one time I appeared on a top 10 record, I was giving a spoken word rant about this. It's, uh, it's on St Etienne's second album, So Tough, and it's a track called memo to pricey um they recorded me in a pub called the lancia off holloway road um talking about how i don't like these adult drinks like whiskey or lager and it goes back to that childhood thing i was saying of that grimace you do when somebody gives you a, a drink and and it's, so i i i don't think anyone likes beer <laughs> i mean <laughs> i realize yeah. i realize the stats are against me here right and i'm not saying you're li- liars i'm not well may, i mean maybe i am calling you liars in that in the sense that in order to get to where you are as beer lovers you had to lie to yourself at a crucial moment in your development. That first time you sip beer or lager or ale, whatever, every taste bud in your mouth is rebelling against it. Every sip is telling you to F off, right? And you have to force yourself masochistically through that pain barrier to get to get to what where, where you like it. And I say, why bother? Why why put yourself through that? I think you're I think you're right. And I had that experience with lager and so drinking little stubbies that now I would just absolutely inhale, but sort of sneaking a sip of a stubby or like I remember a scout leader giving me a stubby once when I was about sort of 14 or 15. Um, and I was like, I was like, this is not going to, I'm not going to, if this is the drink that everyone drinks, I'm not, I'm going to be in trouble. But then when I discovered ale, it was just like, I, and I wonder if it was just in comparison to lager, because I still not, don't really drink lager, but ale was just that first pint of bass smooth flow I had in the knot in Thornbury. I was like, okay, I found my my drink. Mm, mm. Um, so what's this beer that you hate that you're going to have in your <laughs> pub? Well, I mean, obviously I've had plenty of beers over the years. It's usually when you're backstage at a gig and you're, you know, you're a party and the only thing there is Bex or something, but it's free, but it's just so unpleasant. So I've got to the... You know, I've never got to that bit where it's it's actually enjoyable. So I'm not choosing something I actually like, but it's because I'm a good host and I recognise that some people pretend they enjoy beer. Um, <laughs> Robin pretends really, yeah, really well. Yeah, he's, oh, he's brilliant. <laughs> Devoted years of my life to pre- this pretense. So, so I, yeah, I will put one on tap, and it is Brains Dark. Or, um, to give the correct pronunciation, Brains Dark. Because um, it's the it's Cardiff. Uh, Brains is the smell of Cardiff. Um, when I was growing up, there were two breweries either side of Cardiff Central Station, and when you stepped off the train, you were hit with this heady mist of of malty brewing fumes, and it's quite lovely. One of the breweries was, uh, was Albright, which had a big chimney um, with the slogan "Never forget you're Welsh" painted on it, and the other was Brains, and Brains was right in the heart of um, the city centre. It was on. I don't know how well you know Cardiff, but there's Caroline Street, which is sort of Chippy Alley or Salmonello Alley, as my dad called it, um, where all the chip shops are. And it was right there. And um, 
many of my happiest times as a teenager were going to Cardiff and shopping for records at Spillers, um, the world's oldest record shop. And um, it's just around the corner from Brains. So buying my first Jesus and Mary Chain single or buying the ticket to see the Smiths for the first time on my 17th birthday, all those trips, uh, the, the fume was coming at me, just that smell of, of the Brains brewery. Um, sadly not there anymore, at least not where it was. The original location's now closed down. Um, it's become the brewery quarter and it's full of five guys and nando's and starbucks and all that but brain still exists they, they've just taken over the old um the albright brewery across the tracks and um brains dark dark which is um 3.5 percent um all of their beers are, are below four and a half percent actually or they're certainly their main four the bitter the sa the sa gold and the dark yeah because hugh stevens chose brains and i think didn't didn't hugh say mike did as well i think yeah and didn't hugh say he chose sa which is skull attack, skull attack. that yeah. was it I was yeah, yeah, yeah. Skull attack. <laughs> yeah it's brains you want yeah 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 and, and um, Brains Dark is on tap at the park in Barry that I mentioned, that pub. So it's kind of the smell of... It's the smell of home for me, even if I'll never actually taste it. And for anyone visiting my pub from South Wales, it's a taste of home for them. So I'm going to go with that. What a beautiful pub. Fire crackling away. Music on, not too loud. Nice pint. Oh, hello there, what are you drinking then? Is that ale? Or is that, is that lager? Yeah. What are you drinking lager for? Mm. This is ale, this is. This is ale. Mm. This is water, hops and barley and yeast. That is chemicals. Uh, <laughs> I suppose you didn't remember this when this was the Red Lion then. I do. Yeah, I... it used to be the Red Lion then before that it was the Black Swan. Yeah. And yeah, but Judith wouldn't have put up with any of this, the really? landlady there. She wouldn't have put up with any Why of this. Why didn't I go to the moon yeah, underwater? I'll say it again, that leave means leave. That's all I'm saying, that leave means well, two fantastic uh, choices, and we move on now to bottles and cans, which I think really serve the cider drinker more than um, than draft. The selection of of bottled ciders now you can get is just extraordinary. I had one just last night that I drank on the train on the way home, an elderflower cider from a a little sort of tap room near King's Cross. It was out of this world. Um, so, uh, but I may be preempting you. What what bottles and cans are you having? Well, um, can I surprise you? I like wine, um, <laughs> despite what I said earlier. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Exactly. Uh, right. What it is? My my course at uni was French and philosophy, um, and that involved going to live in Paris for a year, um, eighty eight, eighty nine, and I was studying the British Institute, which is a uh, part owned by the University of London, part owned by the Sorbonne. And um, I actually started writing for Melody Maker um, while I was there. I, I used to blag my way into gigs and then go into, into the upstairs room of Shakespeare & Co., which is that legendary bookshop on the left bank. And um, oh, we've their... been there together, me and Robin, haven't we, Rob? Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been, been there. Isn't it it's, great? It's a superb spot, yeah. Amazing. Well, I don't know if they still do. They used to have these rickety typewriters you could just go and use. I guess nobody uses typewriters at all these no, days. They still, but... have, they still have them, yeah. And the paper, so you can write little notes there. It, and, oh, my heart. And the, um, the people who work there often sort of sleep. They have, like, beds above the bookcases. Yeah, they yeah. still kind of... Let writers stay there, don't they? And they still put on gigs. Very important in the publication of Ulysses as well, of course, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that, that's how I got started. I'm not comparing my reviews of Nick Cave and the Bad Seas to Ulysses. Oh, but it's, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it probably made about as much sense. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, I started posting these reviews to Maldi Make and um, they ignored them to begin with, but then started printing them. So that was uh, November 88. But um, 
it was a weird solitary time for me being in Paris because, you know, one of the world's great cities, I, but I lived in this suburb to the south called Vanves. And when I left the house, I would often be just harassed by the gendarmerie. They would make me empty my bag out on, on the floor in front of everyone in Place Saint-Michel just to humiliate me. And one evening in Vanves, they screeched to a halt and jumped out and pushed me against the wall with... People think I'm making this up, but at gunpoint, because I was walking along painting my nails in public to ask me where I was going. And this was Chirac. It was his doing. He was the mayor at the time. Um, he'd ordered a crackdown on punks and goths because he thought we were scaring away tourists. I mean, little did he realise some of us were the bloody tourists. But I just thought it was deeply ironic, this sort of supposedly bohemian, uh, dissenting city, nonconformist city, especially in, in the bicentennial of the revolution as it was. Um sort of being so conservative but there were some good things a lot of it was like you know I'd go out visiting art galleries and I became obsessed with Salvador Dali the other thing was was wine because it's so blooming cheap there and I um I I went to I mean it was all about finding the cheapest wine that wasn't horrific that's the first thing and so I went to the local supermarket um and I I don't have a very sophisticated palate with with wine I mean my wife Janie does she knows all about it for me wine is either nice and smooth or it's aggressively bitter it's just polar in that way and in my local supermarket in Vanve um the the equivalent of a quid would get you a plastic flagon of something that tasted like weed killer but for just 20 pence more, like £1.20, you could get a lovely smooth Cote de Rhone. And, and even now, if I'm confused by a wine list, which I almost always am, um, I won't even pretend to look knowledgeable. I just always opt for the Cote de Rhone. It never lets me down. And, and I know you like having to be specific here, so I actually researched it. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> the cheap Cote de Rhone in the local supermarket in Vanves, which is a Carrefour, um, is Cote de Rhone Les Petites Caves. So I'll have a bottle of that, please. Oh, that's so nice. I'm guessing that that sort of very cheap, rough wine they would use for cooking. Maybe, yeah. Because, you know, if it's only 20p more, surely you would go for the nice smooth one if you were going to drink it, and that you'd have that plastic bottle by the stove for using in stews and sauces and stuff, maybe. I mean, it depends what your relationship with drink is, because that <laughs> 20p would mean you could get six bottles for the price of five. That's a very so good there, point. Yeah. And some wonderful mental arithmetic. There is that, yeah. <laughs> um, so the Cote de Rhone Le Petit Carve and uh, your second bottle, please. Well, for my other bottle, you won't be surprised that I was big into the Alcapop scene in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, prior to even that, I was into Baby Sham. I bet that was a prayer answered for you, wasn't oh, it? Oh, God, yeah. Because, <laughs> I, yeah, I've been into Baby Sham, which kind of counts as an Alcapop, even though it's a Perry. But it, but then Alcapops came along and, and suddenly, I mean, it was all about Hooch versus Two Dogs. And nobody remembers Two Dogs now. Do you remember Two Dogs? No, I don't know. This is, History oh, this is written by the winners, isn't it? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so that battle, it was it was the VHS versus Betamax of of the booze world in the nineties. And you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, yeah, of course, Betamax." Schlur versus Oasis. Hey! Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, that is good. Wow. wow, he's good, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, th yeah, that's the perfect contemporary <laughs> equivalent, isn't it? Uh, but Two Dogs was Australian, I think. Um, and it had a pair of bulldogs on the bottle. It was shorter and stubbier than hooch. The drink was sharper, maybe more lemony rather than sugary in a way. And that made it somehow easier to stay on for an extended time without feeling a bit sick. Um, but hooch won the war, you know. And yeah, like you say, um, uh, history's written by the by the winners and two dogs quietly slunk away. Hooch has actually made a comeback of sorts. You can um, still get it in Tesco. You can get it in Tesco's now and some pubs as well. I've, I, I might actually get a bottle. I haven't had that since I was 16. 
it was such a big um it was a real big news story at the time wasn't it the dangers of alcopops the fears of alcopops and i think rightly so it did create a generation of people who drink too much yeah probably because it was it was designed and marketed for teenagers (laughs) yeah it was i mean yeah i remember going to the launch party of hooch at the groucho club i mean that tells its story (laughs) doesn't it how how of its time is that what a memory that is i think the groucho club now is one of the worst places on earth it wasn't great then let me tell you god Just, god yeah oh man but how could yeah. that the or- the amount of orange wicked i drank at university is just re- <laughs> just frankly revolting yeah and what was that one that tasted like refreshers was it mets Smirnoff. oh was mets. that was that the judderman beware the judderman my dear when the moon is fat or whatever ah. Well, which of these delightfully nostalgic drinks are you going to have? Well, I'm going to go for two dogs. I I mean, I do get excited to this day if I see Hooch in a pub. There's one called The Bugle in Brighton, which might actually be the best pub in Brighton. And I get really excited when they've got Hooch in the cabinet. But part of me does wish two dogs had won the war. Um, the brand apparently was bought by Scottish Courage, which itself was bought out by Heineken. I think I'm right in saying. So if anyone from Heineken is listening, please, please bring back two dogs. It was amazing. Phil, my, our friend Phil told me that Wicked, stand, WKD, stands for Wisdom, Knowledge, Destiny. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love a backronym. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so two dogs, great. Well, in your sanctuary so far, you have Cornish Orchard Cider on draft, Brains Dark on draft, you have a bottle of Cote de Rhone, Le Petit Calf, and two dogs, Alcopop. Um, what a collection. Something for everyone there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but oh, now we head over to the lovely Robin for this week's Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. Okay, everybody. Pens out, eyes down. It's time for the quiz. Played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger. That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey had been deducted five points. Welcome to the Moon Underwater pub quiz. As ever, I shall ask you three questions and we'll reveal the answers in part two. And this week's questions are about titles of novels which take their names from other works of art. Interesting. For example, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley takes its name from The Tempest by William Shakespeare. You, you get the vibe? Mm. Feeling mm. it? Cool. Okay, I'm going to start with... Maybe it's the hardest one. I don't know. Question one. Things Fall Apart by Chinua Uchebi and No Country for Old Men by Cormac McCarthy, made into a film by the Coen brothers. They both take their titles from poems by which poet... Things Fall Apart and No Country for Old Men. They're in two different poems by the same poet, 20th century poet. I can give you a nationality, or are you okay? Uh, could I'll need a nationality, yeah. I think. Irish. Cool. Question two. The Moon is Down, great novel by John Steinbeck, and The Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner, another great novel. Actually, never read it. Don't know why I said that. They both take their titles from which Shakespeare play? The Moon is Down and The Sound and the Fury. Question three. What is the origin of the title of Mark Haddon's novel, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime? What is the origin of the title of Mark Haddon's novel, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime? Where does that come from? 
So those are the three questions. Very good cues, Robin. Um, and we will return for some ho- hopefully very uh, satisfying A's. <laughs> um, this is the end of the first part of Simon Price's visit to the moon underwater. Uh, we thank him for his time so far. But we look forward to hearing more about his refuge that he's creating before our eyes. Just a reminder that you can support uh, the moon underwater, the upkeep of this old pub, uh, by going to Patreon by going to moonunderpod.com or patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod uh, where you can access treats such as our bonus podcast Behind the Cellar Door. We'll see you in part two. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.